A reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Serenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord has made known unto us. And they came with haste, and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning the child. And all that had heard it wondered those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Please be seated. Let me tell you about my family's Christmas schedule. We enjoy spending all Christmas Day right here in Williamsburg. We do presents in the morning. We do something called Dad's full-on Christmas breakfast. Eggs, bacon, sausage, pancakes, cinnamon rolls, biscuits. It's all in there. And we relax a little bit, catch our breath, play with the toys that we've received. And then later on that afternoon, my parents always drive to Williamsburg. There's another round of presents. We cook meatballs for dinner, and then we go on a walk on, on Duke of Gloucester Street that evening. The next day, we always get in our car, head down I-64, go over a bridge and through a tunnel to Nina's parents' house where there's more presents, more food, more joy. It really is the two most wonderful days of the year. This year, Nina's brother called 
and said that he could only get one day off and he was just taking Christmas Day off and asked if we would consider switching the order of operations, spending Christmas Day with Nina's family and maybe the following day with my family. We were talking about this and I could see that the kids were having a hard time wrapping their mind around the, cha- around the, tr- the change. There was quite a lively discussion at the dinner table one night. My oldest daughter, Sophia, I looked at her, I said, Sophia, I, I, you look quite concerned with this. What is the big deal? We're going to do everything the same, just on different days. She looked at me and said, Dad, you have no idea, do you? I said, no idea about what? She said, you don't understand. I've been imagining what Christmas will be like since November 1st. And what Sophia was really trying to tell me there, translation, what is happening feels disconnected from what I wanted to happen. This year, Christmas feels disconnected. Disconnected from treasured traditions. Disconnected from loved ones we won't see or loved ones that we have lost this year. There's a disconnect between our desire to gather and our ability to gather. I think we're all living that scene in It's a Wonderful Life where George Bailey has lost the $8,000 at his building and loan corporation and the bank examiner is there and he knows that if he doesn't find it, he says it ends in scandal and bankruptcy and jail And you've just had the scene where he yells at his daughter playing the piano. He tells off his daughter's teacher for letting one of his other daughters walk home in the cold. She catches a cold. He finds himself in his friend's bar. He pulls up a stool and he's visibly shaking and he prays. He says, oh God, I'm at the end of my rope. Help me, show me the way. The bartender says, are you okay? George, the man sitting next to him says, George who? He says, it's George Bailey. It's the teacher's husband, the teacher that he just told off and the husband punches him right in the face. He's lying on the ground. His lip is bleeding. He says, I guess that's what a man gets for praying. There's a disconnect between what we have prayed will change and what has stubbornly remained the same. What feels disconnected for you this Christmas? I want to assure you, the first Christmas felt disconnected too. You see, there was a disconnect between their hope and their experience. There was a disconnect between who they expected and who arrived There was a disconnect between what the angel said and what the angel said they would see. There's a disconnect between hope and experience. The Christmas story starts in Luke 2 and it came to pass in those days that Caesar Augustus issued a decree that the entire world should be taxed. God's people never hoped for Caesar to be in charge. God promised this land to Abraham. Under King David, the tribes of Israel unified. 
They came into a golden age as a nation under his leadership. His son Solomon built a temple. God's presence dwelt at the center of that magnificent structure. But disobedience led to destruction, as it always does. Assyria conquered Israel. Babylon conquered Judah. And after only a brief reprieve under generous policies from the Persian Empire, the Roman Empire invaded Syria, was right on the doorstep of Jerusalem. Eventually they would invade Jerusalem as well. And God's people were brought back under foreign rule. The promised land was once again occupied land. Caesar says, go register. God's people hoped that God's promise would soon be fulfilled for there to be a Messiah. God spoke of a Messiah, an anointed king who would one day deliver God's people from oppressive rulers like Augustus. But God's people's experience was still oppression in a conquered land. Notice the repetition of the word taxed in the first three verses. A decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was the first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed. Luke's highlighting the power of Augustus. Caesar says, you will pay. Get moving, go. And Joseph, along with all the world, is compelled to obey. On a side note, if God used the decree of Caesar Augustus to move everyone into their proper place for the first Christmas celebration, surely he can use the orders of our governmental officials, no matter how frustrating they may be, to move us into place for this year's celebration. See, the first Christmas, there was a disconnect between hope and experience. There was a disconnect between who was expected and who arrived. When the prophet Isaiah spoke about the Messiah, he described him like this. We heard it read earlier, wonderful counselor, mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, you heard his dominion will be vast. The government will be on his strong shoulders. Later on in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah says that the Messiah will open the prison to those who were bound. This is who God's people expected, a powerful king opening prison doors, taking on the government, restoring order to the nation, we read in verses six through seven who arrived. It came to pass while they were there that Mary's days were accomplished. She gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. They expected a powerful king they got a helpless baby lying in a common feeding trough 
for animals. The first Christmas, there was a disconnect between who was expected and who arrived. And there was a disconnect between what the angel said and what the angel said they would see. Also in that same region, there were shepherds abiding in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone round about them. They were sore afraid. And I remember hearing this as a kid and hearing that word sore afraid and I imagined it was like they were soaring. It's not spelled the same, but I imagined they were soaring with fear. Their fear lifted them up. They were so terrified by the sight. But listen to what the angel says. The angel says, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Savior, Christ is the Greek way of saying the Hebrew word Messiah, Savior, anointed King. And this anointed King who will be your Savior, his identity is nothing less than God himself. See, God did not send a coach to train us to play the game of life better. God did not send a lawyer to skillfully mediate our divisions God did not send a politician to bring about better policy. God came personally as a savior because we needed to be saved from our sin. C.S. Lewis was a literary scholar, a prolific author, defender of the faith in the middle of the 20th century. Just at the start of World War II in 1939, as all of the different pieces were, were moving into place and it was clear that these nations would be at war, he was from England and he was right there, would ultimately experience the, the, the notorious air raids over London. He gave a sermon in 1939 at the University Church of St. Mary the Virgin. He said this, the war creates no absolutely new situation. It simply aggravates the permanent human situation so that we can no longer ignore it. I believe those words are as relevant in 2020 as they were in 1939. The coronavirus creates no absolutely new human situation. It simply aggravates the permanent situation to the point that we can no longer ignore it. People are quite frustrated with the darkness in our world today, and rightly so. I hear a lot of consternation about the darkness, but the question that people don't ask is why was C.S. Lewis talking about the darkness in 1939 and we're talking about the darkness in 2020? How has no one figured out a solution to the darkness? The war creates absolutely no human, new human situation. 
It simply aggravates the permanent human situation so that we can no longer ignore it. And this permanent human situation is described with pinpoint accuracy by the gospel writer John. He says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men loved the darkness for their deeds were evil. The problem is not simply that there is darkness in the world and if we would just dig a little deeper, we would find a little light in our souls and we could dust it off and spark hope in the world. The problem is that we love the darkness. The problem is we need a light, not from within, but without. Upon them, Isaiah wrote, a light has shone. See, we've been asking this question in our series, in our Advent series leading up to Christmas Eve, a question from Mark chapter four. Jesus' disciples look at him after he calms a great storm. They say, who then is this? The angel answers the question on Christmas Eve. He's not a coach. He's not a trainer. He's not a politician. He's not a lawyer. He's the Savior, the anointed King. He's God Himself. That's what the angel said. But there's a disconnect between what the angel said and what the angel said the shepherds will see. He says, the angel says, This will be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. How could the Savior, the King, God himself be a baby stuck in an animal's feeding trough? It's a shocking disconnect, and they've been imagining what Christmas will be like for a lot longer than since November 1st. They've been imagining what Christmas will be like for hundreds of years since the prophets were writing, since the first humans, Adam and Eve, sinned and corrupted human nature. We heard in that first reading that the seed of the woman would bruise the serpent's heel. They've been imagining what Christmas will be like for that long and it's disconnected from what the angel says they will see. But this shocking disconnect leads to the truth of Christmas. You would not dare walk right up to a king and shake his hand. But who can resist holding a baby in their arms? You would not dare go and knock on the gates of a palace. And even an inexpensive motel can outprice a beggar's budget. But who is turned away from entering a cattle stall? See, the truth of Christmas is this. Christmas offers to connect the disconnected. Our sin disconnected us from God and leads to all kinds of disconnection and division with each other. But Christmas offers to connect the disconnected. God and sinners reconciled as the great carol sings. If you would like to accept the offer of ultimate connection, a relationship with God, a relationship that will connect you to others who are in relationship with him and reorient every facet of your life, then Luke says, 
eat. Eat. Why would Luke say eat? Remember, the angel says the manger is a sign. A sign points you in the direction you should go. It moves you toward the proper destination of your journey. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, which means house of bread. He's placed in a manger, the place where God's creatures came to feed. Those meatballs I eat every Christmas Eve have come in handy because I know the Italian word for eat, the verb to eat is mangiare. Mangiare, manger. The manger points to our proper response to the offer of Christmas to connect the disconnected. Feed on Jesus which means invite Jesus into deeper and deeper recesses of your soul. Our world is starving, and the manger holds Jesus, the bread of life. Maybe you're starving this Christmas. You might consider starting your meal at the manger with a simple prayer paraphrased from the carol, a little town of Bethlehem, cast out my sin and enter in. Be born in me this day. If you would like to accept this offer to connect the disconnected, to be reconnected with God, say this prayer with me in your heart now. Cast out my sin, O God, and enter in. Be born in me this day, because Christmas offers to connect the disconnected. Would that we all accept this offer, feed on Jesus, and be fully connected to, united with the Savior, who is Christ the Lord.